Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. And I really appreciated last time when I came here for the grace that you have shown. And um, let's turn to the scriptures. John 15, verses 1 through 9. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. As Pastor Stan said, uh, we are going to look at John 15 throughout this month. August is a sabbatical month at FCF, Faith Christian Fellowship. We usually take a break from our ministry activities. And if you are like me, I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling with uh, getting back to, into swing of things in, during the summer. So I Googled to find out how I can recharge myself and rejuvenate myself. I ended up in a website. It, it said, it's all in the little things. It's important to give yourself time to recharge, but it doesn't have to be an extravagant ordeal. Indulging in little things that make you happy can make all the difference. Here are 33 little ways to rejuvenate your mind, body, and soul. Cheers to your revitalization. Number one, cook your favorite meal. Number two, take a bubble bath. Number three, me meditate for 30 minutes. Number four, put on headphones and listen to your favorite tunes. Number five, buy a fancy bottle of wine, etc., etc. It went on. They are not bad things. I am a Christian. I read in John 15 that Jesus is telling me to abide in him. That means to rest in him, not only for rest and revitalization, but also to do anything that's worthy of reflecting God's kingdom. So I want you to pay attention to this passage in John 15, not only today, but the rest of the month, so, so that we can understand what it means to abide in Jesus. There is no question about the familiarity of this passage we often refer this as the vine and the branches. There are numerous Christian ministries known by this name, including the community group that meets at our home on every Tuesday evening. <laughs> there are hundreds of books, magazines, and websites named after this parable. 
Unfortunately, too much familiarity conceals the real significance. So, what's the significance of this passage? This passage is part of the farewell discourse of Jesus with his disciples on the, on the night, on Thursday evening, when he was having the Passover meal. This was few hours before, prior to his agonizing death on the cross. Second, it's a parable, an allegory. An allegory is a story which the, in which the characters and events are symbols that stand for ideas about human life or for a political or a historical situation. So understanding the context and the nature of the biblical text is vital for us to understand the meaning and apply for our lives today. I want to give you an overview of this parable. It's an, it's a, the imagery given is a vineyard. Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser. Father God is the vine dresser. And his disciples, we, are the branches. I mentioned it's a parable. When we encounter a parable, we should be careful not to go into the minute details and take meanings out of everything. And also, not to interpret things from the parable that doesn't fit with the rest of the scriptures. The vine takes away every branch that does not bear fruit to be burned. He prunes the ones that bear fruit in order to make them bear more fruit. The branches that remain organically connected to the vine bear much fruit. This is the gist of the parable. Jesus uses this parable to communicate to his disciples the kind of life they should live between his first coming and his second coming. I want to focus on four points in this uh, sermon. The first point is an organic union. Last time I mentioned the vine and the branches is a scriptural image that, we were, that was given to us to illustrate the union between Christ and his people. The word used is abide. Christ says that we need to abide in him in order to bear fruit. Then in verse 7, he says that we need to abide in his word. And in verse 9, he asks us to abide in his love. So there are three kinds of abiding are spoken here. Abide in Christ who is the true vine from where we get our vital supply of nutrients for growth, verse 4 and 5. Abide in his word, that means to take root in Christ by faith, verse 7. Abide in Christ, uh, Christ's love, the motivating force behind our fruit bearing through is the love of Christ, verse 9. Jesus starts off this parable by an emphatic statement saying that he is the true vine. Why does he say he is the true vine instead of saying, I am the vine? To answer this question, we have to go to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is referred as the vine at several times, including in our Bible reading we heard a few minutes ago in Psalm 80. Other ones are in Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 2, Hosea chapter 10, 1 and 2. I want to read you Hosea chapter 10, 1 and 2. Israel is a luxuriant vine. 
that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. The more altars he, uh, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Here in Hosea, the nation of Israel is depicted not only as a vine, but as an unfaithful nation that has, it, that has broken its covenant promises with its God, who had redeemed and rescued them out of Egypt and made them into a nation. The more it increased in its prosperity, the more it became unfaithful to her God. In this backdrop, Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Professor John Collins at uh, Covenant Theological Seminary says, thus the most natural understanding of John 15:1 is that Jesus embodies Israel's calling to be the true vine. And in claiming to be the true vine, Jesus claims to be, the li- claims to be in the line of David the long-awaited Messiah, the true Israel. See, Jesus is saying it is no longer necessary to be part of the unfaithful nation of Israel, but you need to be organically united to him, the faithful son of God. John Calvin says, we become rooted in Christ by faith. Faith comes to us by hearing the word of Christ, Romans 10:17. Whether it's preached from the pulpit or from read from the Bible, or shared by a friend or a co-worker, or by any other means, the more we abide in the words of Christ, the more we become rooted in him by faith. In verse 3, we, see, we read, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You know, the 11 disciples of Christ, Judas Iscariot has just left a few, few minutes ago. The 11 big disciples that Jesus has been hanging around last three or more years have already begun the process of sanctification by being exposed to the words of Christ, the Logos, the very word of God, who became flesh and dwelt among them. We abide in the word of Christ by reading it, by memorizing it, and by meditating the word of God, in order for us to grow in faith and sanctification. The Psalms are good places to start. I would highly recommend Psalm 1 and Psalm 19. Um, I'm work in progress here. Psalm 19, verse uh, 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Using three by cards, three by five cards is not a bad idea. Since I'm preaching in this passage on fruit bearing, I tried recently to memorize Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's about the fruit of the Spirit. To assist my memorization, as there are nine elements to the fruit of the Spirit, I came up with an acronym. So I recited, It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In the middle of this uh, memorization process, the Spirit of God convicted me to pause and reflect on each of these elements of the fruit of the Spirit. And as I contemplated, meditated, this conviction turned into repentance of how far I have fallen short on these elements and how far I have missed the mark. Tim Keller says the law of God, the Torah means, it, Torah does not mean mere information. Torah is a dynamic word that depicts a javelin thrown in its arc or trajectory towards a target. It's a living power. So when we meditate on the word of God, we tap into this living power. When we abide in the word of Christ, we abide in the life-giving, eternal word of the living God. John 20, 31, the writer of this gospel says, But these things are written that you may believe Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. By believing, you have life in his name. Be united to me. Stay with me. Remain with me. Endure with me. Come home to be with me. That's the tone and the message of Christ to those who have been born again by the Spirit of God. You know, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's not obviously present in the passage, but he is behind and plays a central role in this union of abiding in Christ. I mentioned last time when I was here that union with Christ and his people are mediated by the work of the Spirit. I like the way John Calvin puts it. He says, the faith is wrought out in our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit. You mean, the word wrought means to beat or hammer a metal when it is red hot out of a furnace to shape it into a useful instrument. Organic food is a popular thing. You have organic food section in every grocery store, and we have completely organic food places like the, the Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, and, and Mom's. You know, organic food is grown by a natural process without any chemical fertilizers or genetic modification. Similarly, our abiding growth in Christ takes place organically. That, that means it takes its natural time. It's not forced, no, it is manufactured artificially. It flows out our identity through the union we have with Christ. We sang about it a few minutes ago. So what is our true identity, our DNA in Christ? The Bible says in John 1.12, we are children of God through our union with Christ. I'd like to read it here from the exact words here. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the, man, will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. See, that is our DNA in Christ. 
Note Jesus is addressing to his disciples corporately as well as individually. When he says the branches, he's addressing to them corporately. When he says every branch, he's addressing to them individually. Have you seen a single branch in a grapevine? I have not. Not at least a healthy one. Professor Collins says, to be in the vine, as we have seen, is to be in Jesus. More specifically, to be counted among the people whom Jesus represents. True Israel. When we become part of the church, we join a web of relationships with other members, all of whom are connected to Christ. The lives of the members are woven together by the invisible bond of the Holy Spirit. We all depend on one another. And generally speaking, the life of Christ comes to us mediated through other Christians. We abide in Christ. The, to abide in Christ is to use our connection to other Christians as the vehicle by which Christ ministers life to us. And each of us is a vehicle of Christ's life to others. If you are rooted in Christ and are being part of a church or a community group or a ministry team, there is tremendous potential for you to flourish in this vineyard life, however weak might be your faith. Being in Christ is like being in a plane that is destined to place A from place B. A number of you like the analogy from Rory Shiner. You need to be in the plane to get to some place. Not under the plane, nor by being inspired by it, or by following it. So the story goes, we were coming back from Sri Lanka last uh, June, and our connection was in Doha, um, Qatar. And uh, we boarded the plane from our gate, and we found our seats, and we were relaxing and refreshing ourselves you know, with these warm towels they give in the international flights. And as we were relaxing and resting, the plane taxied off the gate. And all of a sudden, I saw a man walking past me in the aisle. And he was saying something in Arabic. And behind him was a stewardess behind him shouting, Sir, you need to get back to your seat. Get back to your seat. So this man was very anxious, and he was pointing the boarding pass to me. And I knew that he, was, he wanted to find out whether he was in the right plane. And um, when he was uh, pointing out the, the boarding pass, I saw the, print on the prints on the boarding pass, and I knew he was going to the right place, to Washington, D.C. So I gave him a two thumbs up and smiled at him. So he, he, he smiled at me and with relief, and he went back to his seat. Something about the two thumbs up. He knew, he knew immediately the plane was bound to the United States. Similarly, so my, my question to you, question to you, did the old man arrive in Washington, D.C.? Yes, he did. My wife and I can vouch for that. Second, did it matter that old man had little faith in the plane than me? No, it did not matter because we arrived, both arrived, in Washington, D.C. The only thing that really mattered that, that we were in the right plane. Similarly, 
you are a Christian if you are rooted in Christ. You have no cause to worry or be anxious. The New Testament idea of being united to Christ through faith means we are in Christ the vine. So whatever is true for Jesus is true for us, the branches. Because he lives, we shall live also. And Christ has promised to make us grow in our faith and sanctifies so that we bear more fruit. This brings us to the second point, fruitful living. Just as abiding in Christ is the central theme of this passage, bearing fruit, the natural consequence of this union, is central. So what does it mean to bear fruit? First, let me say what I think it is not. In verse 5, we read, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. From the latter part of this verse, which says, apart from me, you can do nothing, we can clearly say this fruit bearing, this fruit bearing does not mean general productivity, creativity, ingenuity, that all human beings possess irrespective of our faith in Christ. Even though life and breath to all human beings are given by the Holy Spirit. Second, it does not mean childbearing, even though God said to Adam and Eve in the garden to be fruitful and multiply. Thirdly, it does not mean a general goodness, kindness of people, the humanity all humans have because of the common grace of God. So first, what does it mean to bear fruit? D.A. Carson says, there has been considerable dispute over the nature of the fruit that is envisaged. The fruit, we are told, is obedience, or new converts, or love, or Christian character. These interpretations are reductionistic. Reductionistic simply means that here to reduce to a simple formula or theory. Carson goes on to say, this fruit is the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine driven by faith, embracing all of, the, all of the believer's life and the product of his witness. John Stott says, to, to bear fruit is, to, is nothing less than Christ-likeness. Along the same lines, Professor Collins says, it is covenant faithfulness unlike the unfaithful nation of Israel. Bishop Ryle says, it is repentance towards God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, holiness of life and conduct. These are the New Testament calls, fruit. I hope we are getting a pretty good idea of what it means to bear fruit. Secondly, this bearing fruit is, Jesus is emphatic, this fruit bearing is conditioned upon our union with him. Apart from him, we cannot do anything. Thirdly, according to verse 8, our fruit bearing in abundance brings glory to God and we prove to be his disciples. Who is a disciple of Christ? A disciple of Christ is one who is a child of God by the new birth by the Spirit. He or she is a branch rooted in Christ by faith and 
she or he continues to abide in Christ and his word as a learner. Learner is the Greek word for disciple, under the lordship of Christ. A disciple is a disciple maker who reproduces more disciples who will make disciples. 2 Timothy 2.2 A disciple values nothing more highly than the name of God glorified by him or her. Each and every disciple of Christ bear fruit to the glory of God. Do we see Christ calling different classes of disciples? One as full-time disciples and one as part-time disciples? No, I don't see that. There are no classes in disciples. All of us are called to be disciples of Christ to follow his footsteps. Everyone is called to be a disciple who makes disciples of all nations. The ministry of the word is not exclusively of the ministry of pastors and and the elders and the officers of the church. My friend Brian Float, he's here. He's involved in a cross-cultural disciple-making ministry, and he will be returning back to Kazakhstan next uh, Wednesday, this Wednesday, to field test a manual that he had developed. Please talk to him and pray for him, pray for his trip. Also, we saw last time our fruit bearing is not confined to the walls of this church, but in the way we do our work, the way we do talk to our co-workers, our neighbors, and our friends, and our families, family members. There are no part-time disciples of Christ. Fourth. Does not bear fruit. In verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. There are branches that do not bear fruit, and they have no root in Christ. John Stott says, there are no Christmas trees in the vineyard of Christ. One can fake fruit for, a, for some time, but not for a long time. Definitely not to the vine dresser. The vine dresser is the Father God who will remove every branch that does not bear fruit and put them under the fiery judgment of God on the last day. This is a serious warning for all of us to test our faith whether we are rooted in Christ, the true vine. Are you in Christ or are you just near him? Bishop Ryle says, there are myriads of professing Christians in every church whose union with Christ is only outward and formal. Some of them are joined to Christ by baptism and church membership. Some of them go even further than this and are regular communicants and loud talkers about religion. But they all lack the one thing that is need needful, Notwithstanding services and sermons and sacrament, they have no grace in their hearts, no faith, no inward work of the Holy Spirit. They are not one with Christ and Christ in them. Their union with him is only nominal, not real. They have a name to live to, 
but in the sight of God, they are dead. A branch that is not rooted in Christ withers and dies. Yesterday morning, I was uh, driving and I heard on the NPR news that wildfire in California is raging like a roaring lion, they said. It's ravaging areas north of Los Angeles. Do you know that the survival technique in, to escape a wildfire is to start another fire so that all what is in the proximity is burned up? So that when the big fire comes, the big wildfire comes, you are spared because there is nothing to burn. So by being in an already burnt up place or burnt up patch of forest, the coming fire will not harm you. You know, in little few minutes or few hours after telling this parable, Christ died on the cross. He, became, he becomes a branch that was taken away for all those, those who would become rooted in him. He was taken away outside the city gate and was crucified as a sinner, Hebrews 13, 12, so that those who take refuge in him, hide in him, are spared from the fiery judgment of God. Have we take refuge in him? Are you in Christ or are you just near him? The warning is echoed again in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But the second part says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This leads us to the third point, painful pruning. There is no place in the vine for the branches that do not bear fruit. At the same time, branches that do bear fruit will undergo painful process of pruning under the shears of the vine dresser. Christians, you know, will undergo suffering, heartbreak, disappointments, setbacks, as discipline from God, our loving Father, in order that we may bear more fruit. Hebrews 12, uh, verse 5 and 6 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And verse 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Doesn't it strike you that God prunes all the branches that bear fruit? It did it for me for the first few times when I read this passage. It is even painful to think about this. Number of you know our dear sister, Addie Silver, who recently passed away after several years of battling an autoimmune disease. She was basically reduced to a broken reed by her debilitating condition. She writes in one of her journal entries after quoting John 8:32, if you abide in me, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. She says, I find that whenever I am going through a very uncomfortable trial with great suffering, its effect is to stop me dead in my tracks. I am suddenly aware that God wants my immediate attention. It gives me a sense of urgency, 
and I want, need to clear my heart and mind anything that could come between me and my Heavenly Father. Usually it's because either, first, I am mad at someone, two, I have neglected to forgive someone, or three, I have been hurt. In the middle of my prayer, I sense that I am hanging on to an unforgiving spirit. I need to let go. I need to surrender. That desire becomes much stronger when I am in the midst of suffering. It's a good thing. My first impulse is, to, is always to my, hold on to my stubborn will, but pain quickly puts my spirit into sharp focus. I know instantly exactly what I need to do. Bible wants us to be real about our brokenness, our trials, and our suffering as a means of healing our broken and sinful condition. Read the Psalms, you will find out what I mean. Those who try to cover up their trials, sufferings, and brokenness do not realize that they are denying the very means of grace God gives us in their lives for healing and sanctification. See, Addie did not shy away from revealing her heart struggles, nor did she take in her pain with stoical indifference, but she dealt with suffering as a Christian rooted in Christ should be. She openly shared it and even published it in a book while she was alive so that others may benefit from it. Finally, when we abide in, his Christ, abide in Christ and his word, it leads to a life of powerful prayer. That's my fourth point. Verse 7, we read, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Here is a promise by Christ that not only God will hear our prayers, but he will answer us according to our wish. Isn't that amazing? There is a huge discussion about the thought that how could a, benev how could a benevolent almighty God does not answer our earnest prayers? Instead of going into that topic, deep into that, I want to point out this promise and clarify it. Here it is. When we abide in Christ and his word as instructed in this vineyard allegory, God will answer our prayers and our lives will be characterized by a life of powerful prayer. God answer, God's answer to our prayers is conditioned by our abiding in Christ and his word. They go together. Therefore, this life of prayer cannot be separated from the life of abundant fruit-bearing. Does that mean that we will be filled with health, wealth, and prosperity? Absolutely not. It's in our weakness, brokenness, and abandonment we identify with, with our Lord Jesus Christ, and his words become living power in our lives. It is when we cry out with groans too deep for words, assisted by the Holy Spirit, addressing to our Heavenly Father, Abba, Daddy, Papa, Appa, we know deep within our hearts with assurance that our prayers are being answered and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, that all things we encounter works together for our good. We enter into, a, enter into the very presence of God and commune with our Father and the Son, assisted by the Holy Spirit. 
It is when we abide in the love of Christ, which is nothing but the exact reflection of the Father's love for his only begotten Son, we experience the love that is poured out deep within our bones. The Father's loving word to his Son was, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. In the same manner, Christ is saying to each one of us who are rooted in him, You are my beloved brother. With you I am well pleased. You are my beloved sister. With you I am well pleased. You can put your name in the fill in the blanks if you are rooted in Christ. If you sense that God is calling and you are drawing near to him. This is the life-giving word of love coming from Christ, our elder brother, that will empower us to this life of vineyard living that we are depicted here, that we need to live in close union and communion with the true vine. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for, for these words that you have given us through your son. Help us to understand and take it to our hearts and live this life of abundant fruit bearing that you call us. Momentarily, Lord, that when you, when you prune us to bear more fruit, it is painful and we despair. But help us to draw near to you with groans, words, words too deep for understanding that we will have the assurance that you are dealing with us as Father, as loving Father, that we may, that our lives will be filled with a life of powerful prayer and fruit-bearing, Lord, for your glory. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.